What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three people interested in visiting Montauk now with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm going to start looking into changing my hair color as often as Kate Winslet does. I'm Keith Baker, and I was happy to see Hulk and MJ together. And I'm Austin Terry, and I hope I never see Elijah Wood with a soul patch ever again. On today's show, we'll be discussing one of my all-time favorite movies, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But before we get into that, I want to know, what would you guys want to have erased from your memory? Yeah, look, it's low-hanging fruit, but I want the entirety of David Ayer's Suicide Squad (laughs) erased from my memory. (laughs) (laughs) But then you're going to be so confused every single day when you go on Twitter and you see the release the Ayer cut hashtag. Well, maybe it'll be a race and I'll watch it again and I'll be like, wow, I need the air cut. <laughs> then, you'll have, then you'll have that erased. <laughs> I do want to find a way to keep Jared Leto as the Joker in my memories, though. We'll find a way. Whenever you see Morbius after getting this procedure done, you'll be like, you'll have flashes of the Joker. I'll be like, wow, that guy should play the Joker. <laughs> well, we've referenced it many times in our podcasts and I would have to erase me listening to Jeremy Renner's Take Your Medicine. Oh, but it's such a good song. I feel like it's you erase it just so you can go listen to it for the first time yes, again. Yes, exactly. 100%. 100%. Yep. You nailed it. Kind of like Austin, so I know it's a low-hanging fruit, but I have to erase 95% of Halloween kills from my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling one of us would get to Halloween kills. Or Jamie Lee Curtis yelling, Michael! Just from a bed the entire movie. Well, speaking of Jamie Lee Curtis being in a bed for 95% of the movie, here we have Jim Carrey, because guys, It is time for the main topic of the episode. It's high time for another round of our favorite movies. It's been months at this point, but it's good to be back. Today, it is my turn once again, and I have picked the 2004 Michelle Gondry, Jim Carrey, and Kate Winslet flick, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It takes a look at a world where you can go to a company that will remove your memories for you. Most use it to remove memories of ex-partners to spare themselves pain. Kate Winslet does this to her ex-boyfriend, played by Jim Carrey, and then he decides to do it as well. The movie mostly follows the process in which his memories are removed in reverse order, and by the time we get to happier times, he regrets taking part in the process in the first place. The movie makes you wonder what you would do if you had access to this kind of procedure, and makes you kind of ponder if coping with the pain is a better option than bearing it altogether. It's essentially a surrealist look at dealing with a rough breakup, and the direction and visuals make this one tough to forget, no pun intended. And an always great Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey in one of his rare dramatic turns really propel this to an all-time favorite for me. So, Austin and Keith, give me your thoughts on Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, now that you've both seen it for the first time. Yeah, I I will say right off the bat, I really enjoyed Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, I do think, though, that I enjoyed the destination more so than I enjoyed the journey. Um, And what I mean by that is, I think, as a way that they choose to tell this story, because it's not necessarily in chronological order, it is very hard to root for this relationship, I felt like. Um, I think you spend a lot more time in the negative aspects of the relationships than in the positive. And so that journey to the destination was hard for me to get on board with. Um, I didn't find myself necessarily always rooting for this couple. But overall, I did really enjoy the performances. I think Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet are great in this role. The story itself is super unique. I can't really think of anything quite like this. And by the time the credits rolled, I was very satisfied with the conclusion, and it did leave me uh, pondering a lot of things, and it it kind of leaves you with food for thought. So I think overall I had a great time, but I do have a a lot of things I'm unsure about still. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm I'm unsure about a lot of things, but overall I did enjoy it, and that was a very weird movie. Whenever you first said you were going to do this one, Matthew, I remember reading the synopsis on it, and I guess it just completely blanked from my mind when I started the movie. I forgot what it was going to be about, so I just started watching it. And as things started happening throughout it, 
I was like, this is like, what's happening right now? <laughs> I don't get, it got super confusing, super fast for me. And then I was like, oh, that's right. This is about like mindy racing or something like that. When is that going to come in? And it kind of like comes in a little bit later. And, but yeah, it was really weird. The Jim Carrey right off the bat was weirding me out. I was like, this guy's playing a, an awkward person. <laughs> I don't know. Is he going to, I don't see how these two are coming together. Um, but then, like you said, Austin, I like the ending. I, feel, I think it like it really wraps up in a cool way, which kind of explains the whole minor racing thing. But I was kind of left wondering more about it. Um, but overall, I enjoyed it, and I definitely would give it a rewatch. So that's where I'm at right now. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely glad that you guys at least enjoyed it, and you know, I thought it was you know at least good. Um, whenever I watch it this time, it's definitely a movie that I've started to like more and more as I've gotten older and revisit it like kind of just at different stages of life. Because whenever I first saw it, I was pretty young and I was just kind of blown away by seeing, you know, Jim Carrey do something different. And then just visually, it was so kind of stimulating. So that's kind of what I latched on to the first time I saw it. But as I've gotten older and, you know, you kind of share similar like life things with the characters, then you appreciate it in different ways. And on this viewing, it was funny. I'm excited to talk about it because kind of like what you said, Keith, for me watching it, I always knew it was happening because I've seen it so many times. but for whatever reason, on this specific watch, I was like, maybe it was because I knew you guys were watching it too for the first time. I was like, yeah, this, this feels like it would be kind of confusing for like a first time watcher because like the movie starts and it's like 15, 20 minutes before you even get to the opening credits and then they're already kind of playing with time in different ways. So it's something that I think is cool, but I'm excited to hear parts that, you know, you guys may have been confused by or like wondering what was going on and how it all wrapped up for you so yeah i'm definitely excited to talk about this one in more depth i mean one of one of my favorite parts of the movie is the way uh is the way the story pieces together i thought the way they did that was really cool and really unique um and kind of once you realize where we're headed and and how the opening plays out versus the ending of the film um when that clicks in your mind it's really satisfying when you kind of figure it out i just like the like the overall trippiness of it Whenever he's kind of, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, whenever he's kind of going through his memories or he's inside of his memories, things are kind of collapsing around him. That was kind of cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So obviously this is a 2004 movie, but if you haven't seen it, this is as good a time as any to go check it out. So we will go ahead and drop a spoiler warning now uh, if you haven't seen Eternal Sunshine. So go check it out and come on back. But if you have seen it, stay tuned. We're about to get into it. All right, so as usual, we're in spoiler territory, and we always start that off with a little bit of cast and crew talk. So Austin and Keith, what you got for me? All right, so The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is directed by Michel Gondry. Uh, he is a French writer and director known for his unique visual stylings, and you may know him from The Science of Sleep, Be Kind Rewind, The Green Hornet, and the Jim Carrey Showtime series Kidding. It's also written by Michel Gondry, Pierre Bismuth, and Charlie Kaufman. Uh, Kaufman is a four-time Academy Award nominee known for being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, and Animal Lisa. And our score is composed by John Bryan, who's a singer-songwriter, producer, and composer known for Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, and Lady Bird. And going into our cast, we have Jim Carrey as Joel, Kate Winslet as Clementine, Kirsten Dunst as Mary, Mark Ruffalo as Stan, Elijah Wood as Mr. Pervert himself, Patrick... <laughs> And Tom Wilkinson as Dr. Howard. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives, what do you got? Keith, I got to know, because we just recently discovered that you have a secret disdain for Mark Ruffalo. 
So were you happy that Mark Ruffalo appeared in this movie? Yeah, I actually really liked him in this. Um, he's growing on me. Your biggest complaint was he always plays his nerdy self, and he's his nerdy self in this one. Yeah, but I, I, I kind of dug him in this one. I like that he was kind of the more innocent one out of everybody, just doing his job. Doing an awful job <laughs> yeah. at his job. Doing his job and like having <laughs> sex on top of Jim Carrey's unconscious body. <laughs> Definitely not as smart as Bruce Banner. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to shout out Kate Winslet as Clementine. I thought she was really fun. I liked her character. She was kind of just quirky and kind of all over the place and spontaneous. Uh, I think she played a good part. Yeah, my highlight is also definitely Kate Winslet as Clementine. Um, I don't know how but how Kate Winslet does it, but she's like almost unrecognizable in every movie role she does. She changes characters and, and personas so much, and she does so many different roles. Um, I thought she was easily the standout for this one and really stole the show for me in her performance. All right, well, then I'll take uh, the two other, what I would call easy ones for myself, and that is the other star, of course, Jim Carrey, who I love in pretty much everything. I mean, he's one of my favorite, like, comic actors, pretty much. He always gets a laugh out of me. But then, you know, he's one of those guys, just like, you know, I think of people like um, Robin Williams, who primarily a comedian, but whenever he would do something like one-hour photo or insomnia, he could deliver these just phenomenal, darker, dramatic performances. Jim Carrey does that, too. I think it's stuff like The Truman Show, even a movie that sucks, like number 23, you watch him in that, and he's like, oh, he's kind of scary. And then in this, I think it's a really kind of, Keith already alluded to it a little bit, but it's a very vulnerable performance. So it's not only that he's playing drama instead of comedy, but it's like, he's incredibly, um, I don't know, he's quiet, timid, he's like the opposite of most of the characters he plays. And I think it's a very sweet and kind of touching performance. And, you know, whenever it gets emotional, it always works for me. So, yeah, I think he's great. And then the other one, of course, being the director, Michelle Gondry, just because I think the way they chose to tell this story, you know, you got to shout out the writers as well, of which he is one. But I think what makes the movie extra special is just like the way he told the story visually. Like, Keith, you talk about like they show collapsing memories, like by literally doing that, you're, you're just watching random shit fall from the sky or buildings fall down that mean something to them. And then just like the way they edit it too, like he's walking one direction trying to follow somebody and then the camera moves and then you're looking at like the way he just came from somehow. So it's very surreal and kind of crazy. And I think it really adds to this weird process of removing memories and kind of the cloudiness that comes with that. Yeah, I think to your point about Jim Carrey being in a different role, something that actually was a little off-putting to me at the beginning was seeing Jim Carrey as this reserved character, because he always is this eccentric, um, kind of loud character. That's usually what he's known for. So that took a little bit for me to get used to, but I, I thought he was really great in the movie. And I do think it's it's cool the way he still works on some of the things he's known for, like his facial expressions, like during the memories and stuff like that. So you still get some of those comedic elements from Jim Carrey, but um, the reserved dramatic side of things was really exciting to see too. Yeah, I don't know if there was any uproar at the time. I, I remember Jim Carrey won the Golden Globe for best like leading dramatic actor for the Truman Show, but then he like weirdly wasn't nominated at the Oscars. And then he played Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon, which was another dramatic turn. Everybody was like, "Oh my god, the best performance of the year!" And then he doesn't get nominated, and then he does another kind of dramatic turn with Eternal Sunshine, and Kate Winslet gets the nom, and he doesn't. So people have always kind of joked, and even Jim Carrey himself, that uh. He can he can win those uh, Golden Globes, but he can never break into the Academy Awards. So <laughs> I always thought that was interesting. I think Kate Winslet's uh, constant changing hair is what made her stand out for the Academy. They're mm. like, give it to the girl with the blue hair. <laughs> give it to Elijah Wood and his soul patch. Oh, man. 
horrific is what I would use to describe <laughs> Eliza Wood. Every time he was on screen, I was like, oh, no, make it stop. <laughs> so with that, let's go ahead and get into our roundtable discussion and break this all down. We each brought some points to the table. I'll go ahead and start us off. So kind of like I already said, I really do love that this one could have just been a story about two adults trying to deal with a sudden breakup. And maybe by the end, they consider getting back together. But that wasn't enough for the writing and directing team. Having this be set in the real world, just with seemingly the one caveat of Lacuna, who can scientifically extract and remove memories, is so interesting to me. What a cool concept like we already talked about. But it's the perfect way to show the negative ways we cope with pain after a difficult time. And then on top of that, the visuals and the way they show the memories being actually removed is just so top notch for me. I think the lighting and clever editing tricks are so cool. So, I mean, what do you guys think of all that stuff? Yeah, the thing I really liked about the memory removal stuff is I feel like in any other story, there'd be some like dark motivation behind the company and why they're removing memories or or you delve into that. And I, the thing that I really liked about this is is you don't get that here. It's just a company that exists. It's an everyday clinic, feels very normal and natural for this world. And everyone involved here is literally just people doing their jobs. There's no evil motivations or anything like that. And the only time it becomes antagonistic is uh, when Jim Carrey realizes he wants to keep these memories, but he's already agreed to the procedure and he can't wake up. So yeah. like all of that just felt very real and, and it felt very normal for this world. I like the process, how gradual it was. Like it just goes from being uh, like pretty subtle to being super intense. One second he's following Clementine through the hallway and then she just disappears all of a sudden. And then he goes to her office or whatever. And Elijah Wood's character is there and, his, and Elijah Wood's character's face is blurred. And then he's walking down the street and a car crashes. Somehow he ends up in his, in his, uh, his mom's house because they're trying to access another memory that's, that's not a memory from, from their relationship. So it was kind of cool how they just kind of built up to that. And yeah, to your point about like the editing and the visuals, I, I think pretty much everything looks really great, especially when you're like in a room, the lights are going off on people around him and it's getting darker and darker and just everything about that memory is slowly fading away. Even when people's like faces gets blurred, that always looked really creepy to me, but it still looked good. I think the only thing that didn't look good in this movie is uh, the forced perspective when Jim carries a baby. Uh, it's, it's no elf, I guess. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that did weirdly look bad. Um, but yeah, there, there are still some, there's just such fun things going on. Like, even though it's like a very dark and kind of scary at times concept, um, there are funny moments. I just like love seeing how they, I guess, didn't always want to have it be like Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet dressed as little kids. So then sometimes it cuts to them actually as kids, but then it's still Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet like narrating over it. So goofy. Watching her every time she called him baby Joel always made me laugh. <laughs> I liked it every time she was like, Jolie. Jolie. <laughs> yeah. And then just talking about Lacuna in general, I love like what you said, Austin. It's so true. In this world, this isn't, I feel like in pretty much every other story we would get, this would be like, Lacuna, you like you see characters watching the news, and it's like, wow, Lacuna, the controversial organization that can remove your painful memories. Their stock price is soaring. <laughs> then it like shows like a really like crazy like a uh, charismatic CEO like on the screen. No, like you're right. It's literally just treated like a clinic. Like you can make an appointment. It's not too hard. Valentine's Day is their busy season, but it's pretty easy to get an appointment. Um, I love seeing Kirsten Dunst's character on the phone. And they don't really like spend too much time on it. It's just mostly through dialogue that you have to hear in the background. She's like, oh, hi. Hi. 
oh, really? It's going to be your third time this month. Okay, yeah, we can squeeze you in. And she's like, I know you have to wait. I know it's a crazy time, but whatever. And then also you see like at one point Jim Carrey walk by somebody else in the waiting room who's holding a box clearly of like uh, their dog, dog possessions. Yeah. yeah, it's not always about like removing stuff with an X or something. Like there is kind of merit to it in, in, in certain Maybe not merit, but there's reasons that you can understand why people would do it that don't feel as kind of drastic or crazy or potentially like life changing as removing like an entire like partner from your life. Some people just like, oh, I just can't cope with like a dog's death or something like that. So there's different things to use it for, which is interesting. And I think they're all like you could also look at it as there there are positive uses for it too, like removing like maybe childhood trauma or repressed memories, like mm-hmm. things that could help somebody really um, move forward in their adult life. Like there's really positive uses you could think about to use this type of technology for. Yeah, like PTSD from people in the military or yeah anything. So let's talk a little bit more about how the story unfolds. Um, it does work backwards, getting progressively happier as we move on. And I think this causes the first impression because we start out with all the bad parts of their relationship that it may not be a healthy one. And as we all learned in communication school in high school, a first impression is the hardest thing to undo. So I, I just want to ask you guys, do you think the movie successfully makes the case that these two should be together? I think that's like the biggest, I don't want to say problem that I have with this movie, just the, the thing I'm still kind of stuck on with it. And I was kind of wondering throughout the entire movie was why these two should be together because they just seem like complete opposites. I guess the beginning bus ride, whenever he's just like so, like you were saying, Matt, he's so timid and awkward and weird, and she's trying to talk to him the whole time. He just he's just not having it, and he goes over to her house, and then he leaves awkwardly. So for me, I was just kind of I was hoping there was gonna be a little bit more buildup to their to their relationship, but maybe that was good that we didn't get it. That you just go straight into the whole memory being erased, and it it kind of helps that the front of that story come in play. Well, Keith, I just wanted did you catch that the beginning of the movie is their relationship after the memory wiping yes i did catch that it took me it took me a bit though i didn't know i didn't realize it at first because remember like i said i forgot this was about memory wiping so i just thought this was just a linear story i I thought it was just going from point a to point z so i was kind of confused at first but then as as the movie went on i I did realize like okay that was not the actual not their real relationship that's just the starting in the memories of it well, wow, point, point A to point Z. Most people would go point A to point B, but not my man Keith. We're going point A to point all Z. All 26 letters. I like all 26 letters. Hell yeah. S for soul patch, if you ask me. Oh, absolutely. E for Elijah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of the most interesting thing, I think, with the movie. Uh, whenever that question kind of comes up at various times. <sighs> I think there's a lot of ways to look at it. I think one way is that you could make the argument, I feel, that they aren't meant to be together long-term, and the movie isn't trying to tell us that they should be. I think we'll probably talk about the ending in more depth later, but watching that, it's kind of just them, I feel like, having their own agency for once. They're not going to be defined by this memory wipe thing. You know, Maybe they had bad times, but maybe they had good times, so let's try it out for ourselves, knowing that if this doesn't work out, at least we accepted that we can have good times together without only focusing on the bad, because that's what doing the memory wipe is kind of the purpose of in the moment, at least. So I think you can make the argument that they're just going to try it and it's okay if things don't work out because they're in a better place regardless. I also think there are some interesting intricacies of the relationship because, at least in my personal life, I'm kind of a 
at least in this stage, I'm a believer that opposites definitely attract, but very not often is that going to be a long-term good thing. So maybe you can kind of have like this intense um, love or connection with somebody that you are nothing alike, but then I don't know if it'll last. But the thing that's interesting about this is I think they do enough and have enough scenes where they kind of define Jim Carrey's character as very timid, but sweet and supportive and reassuring. And then Kate Winslet's character is a bit more adventurous and pushing to try new things and exciting. And so even though those are opposites, you can definitely see in certain scenes how they kind of lift each other up and can be good for each other in a lot of ways. Like watching her have this just kind of brief moment where she's like talking about her childhood where she always felt like she was ugly and she had this doll, which she kept telling the doll to be pretty because she, she kind of just felt like that she wasn't. And then just watching, you know, Joel kind of comfort her and tell her that, you know, she's beautiful and he thinks she's so pretty. It's like, OK, so maybe she hasn't had people in the past that can do those kinds of things and, and support her in ways that she needs. And I agree. I agree with all that. I think where I'm struggling is all those happy moments don't come until maybe an hour and 15 into the movie. And we spend so much time like like the first like actual moment in, in their relationship we see is essentially Joel calling her a whore and saying that I'm not worried about if you're sleeping around. I'm worried about when you're sleeping around and, and stuff like that. And that's how we're introduced to this relationship. And it, I think it takes a lot for me to get over like how unhealthy the, the low points of their relationship were. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I guess on the one hand, they have to sell you immediately like why they are wiping their memories, basically. Because so it has to be, I don't know, it has to be kind of in a dark place, I suppose, near the end of their relationship. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. So then they show that. But I, I could hear you. Maybe they could have done, maybe they didn't have to go full chronological. Maybe they could have like had more flashes of positive or healthier moments or just happier times before we get to it. Because it really kind of does feel like a little bit of like a flipping of the switch. Maybe like you said, like an hour 15 into the movie. That's where it kind of feels like we're getting more into like the goofiness and surrealist stuff with like going back to Joel's childhood where he's like now a kid weirdly, but still Jim Carrey. And so it's kind of funnier. And then like once like his weird projection of Clementine understands what's happening, it's like there's like a weird point where like they're in memories, but then he he's able to talk to her about what's going on and she can like yeah, understand. That part's really that, fun. Yeah, that's where it kind of feels like they're in more consistent, happier times. So I, I can get that. Maybe they should have had a little bit more of that sooner so that you're not fully like, oh, yeah, this is a very kind of unhealthy relationship by the end. I kind of wish, too, we had gotten more time with with real Clementine dealing with Patrick, because it, it's pretty clear that she catches on that her and her and Patrick aren't going to work out and, and there's something off with this guy. And you see her like running away from him at one point, And we never really go back to how she's dealing with having her memory wiped either. Or her even going to the clinic, right? We never even see that. Yeah, the only like present day stuff we see of her, I guess, chronologically would be, yeah, at some point, I guess, very soon after she got the procedure done, Elijah Wood basically stole all of Jim Carrey's things so that he could woo her, essentially. And then Jim Carrey saw that. So then he, I guess, got the procedure done or I, I'm sure there's, you know, a mix up in there somewhere. But then really most of her present day stuff is just like the beginning of the movie and like at the very yeah. end when they're, they meet. Like they meet the sp the second he wakes up, he goes to the train station, ends up meeting her because I guess the whole meet me and Montauk thing stuck in his head. So, yeah, there isn't a lot of like present day, if you want to call it that, of her stuff. And yeah, like you said, it's it's really his perspective the entire time. 
they just kind of tell us that, you know, she did this procedure too, basically. We talked a little bit about them kind of having agency and, and trying to fight getting the memories taken away. But it's also tricky too, because as we talked about, this company is not like really like an evil organization like it would be in other movies. At one point, Kate Winslet's character was so unhappy in the relationship that she voluntarily decided, I need to wipe this man from my life. And so it, it's kind of weird when you have that in the back of your mind, too, of like, they made sure they're so unhappy that all they want to do is forget the other person. I, I guess what I'm getting at is it, it's not like they were tricked into doing this. Like, they both willingly agreed to do it. Yeah, I think, you know, the two things we can look at with her without really knowing a lot of her journey, because a lot of it is just Joel's memories and we don't see her go to the clinic. But again, she, as she says several times, she is impulsive. So she and Joel get into this big fight. And I guess that's just the thing she thinks to do. Um, and also, I guess the other thing, maybe the movie could have done a little bit of a better job talking about this more, at least in relation to her. But as we already said, like, Lacuna is a very normal thing. So as weird as it sounds, she could have just gotten in a big fight, was feeling impulsive. And basically, she's like, I'm going to the doctor because I guess removing memories is weirdly not that uncommon. So, yeah. So she does kind of admit that it was the wrong thing to do. But, you know, I feel like by the end where we see what kind of character she is, it almost does make a little bit of sense. Like they get in this crazy fight and she's like, fuck it. I'm removing him from my mind. <laughs> yeah. So we kind of covered it earlier. But one thing I'm still not sure about is the actual characters of Joel and Clementine. And I'm not talking about together, but separate. We only really know Clementine as being this like spontaneous girl and Joel being this kind of awkward guy. But what leads them to being those people? maybe see like 10 or 15 minutes more of them showing them and their separate personal lives. Would you guys have wanted that? I want it more specifically with Clementine because all we really see of her is, you know, when they're restarting their relationship. And then we also see the, the imaginative version of her. We don't see her like actual persona in the movie. And so I kind of want more of her personal life, her friendships, what she does, all that stuff, because we kind of get it from Joel's character with like his two friends that he interacts with. But we really don't know anything about Clementine other than how she handles herself in relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear you guys with that. Um, I don't know if I needed any more from Joel, just because, I don't know, It's I guess it's kind of hard to explain how somebody becomes like that kind of person. But again, we do see stuff from their childhood. Seems like maybe he could have used his mother or just any parental figure. It would have been nice if they were around more, is kind of the implication. And then also he's clearly getting bullied and stuff like that. So Kind of makes sense whenever, you know, we cut to present day and see where he's at it. A lot of those, I think, early childhood things can, you know, really impact somebody long term. But yeah, I'm actually with you guys for sure. It would have been nice to maybe just have 10 extra minutes that could have somehow given us more with Clementine. And I don't know how you do it because, I mean, literally the movie is like, if we just look at it chronologically, they have a relationship we only see the relationship in the context of removing memories. We're not actually seeing like their relationship in like real time. It's just Joel gets this procedure done, removes all his memories, goes to Montauk, meets her on a train. They get their tapes and then they decide to try it anyway. That's the entire movie. So I don't know how you show like Clementine on her own, if that makes sense, because the movie's entirely his memories. So I don't know. I, I almost wish they would have just done it anyway, just to give us a little bit more, like you guys said, into that relationship or maybe I don't know maybe somehow utilize not necessarily the Patrick character specifically more but I don't know maybe we see a quick flash like whenever she did go and ask for the procedure so maybe you can have like Kirsten Dunst and Tom Wilkinson or Mark Ruffalo kind of talking with her maybe that will give us more context but again I don't know how you do that 
when the entire movie was basically just like Joel's perspective of the memories being erased. So I guess they kind of had to pick and choose. But regardless, I I think we needed more with her just a little bit. Well, you mentioned Patrick there. Do you do you think we need more of him in the film? Because by the time he like comes back in the conclusion and and Clementine's like fuck off, Patrick. I had kind of forgotten all about him because all we really see is like, hey, I'm a creep. I stole her underwear and all of Joel's stuff. I'm gonna go try to woo her, and then that's kind of it for his character. And I'm I'm not saying the movie like needs a villain, but that's kind of what they set him up to be for the film. And and I feel like he kind of gets lost in the story. Yeah, the only thing I got out of Patrick was that he was just copying. Jim Carrey's moves in a way, and that's kind of what sparked uh, Clementine's mem- or memories to kind of come back up. And I think that kind of phony relationship could have been a way to to see more of Clementine in her personal life and and see yeah. how she's interacting there. There's a way to do it. It's just obviously a completely different movie. I mean, I guess the way you would do that is it would have to be more of a fifty fifty split. I just don't know how you do it where it's like ninety percent Jim Carrey and then ten percent just randomly like her specific memories scattered throughout. So yeah, I think it would just have to be a different movie. It would have to be more like a 50-50 jumping back and forth between like their, you know, respective procedures. So it's a hard line to walk. And I think we all agree that while Kate Winslet gave a phenomenal performance, it would have been nice to have just a little bit more insight into her character because I I do think we get a lot of that for Joel. I think by the end, at least I feel like I know him very well. I've got good news. There, There is a sequel in the works, and it's The Internal Darkness of the Perpendicular Mind. Oh, thank God. What? Are they going to, like, have... <laughs> Holy shit, really? <laughs> are they going to have Elijah Wood come back in 2022, and are they going to be bold and try and bring back the Soul Patch? Is it possible these days? I don't know if it's possible, but can I at least say this? The thought of this man standing over me while I'm sleeping is terrifying. <laughs> Or Mark Ruffalo and Chris Dunn smoking weed <laughs> on top of I'm you. Okay, I'm okay with that, but the thought of Elijah Wood watching me sleep with his soul patch, talk yeah. about nightmare feel right there. And also, everybody hates him, clearly. So it's like, this guy must be doing some weird <laughs> stuff, like, day to day. He answers the door to Kirsten Dunn wearing googly eyes, and then, like, the entire time he's like, Mark Ruffalo clearly hates him. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just, this guy's up to something. And this was, and keep in mind, they felt this way about him before he revealed that he was he stole Jim Carrey's thing so that he could seduce Kate Winslet. <laughs> so he's been doing weird stuff for a long time. He even says it. He's like, I know whatever Kirsten Dunst's character's name is, I know Mary hates me. <laughs> and Mark yeah. was like, yeah, she does. <laughs> Yeah, so I was kind of more curious about the science behind the whole memory racing. You see Mark Ruffalo kind of hitting certain buttons on the computer, but that's about it. Yeah, he's like playing Pac-Man is what it looks like, (laughs) trying to catch these memories. (laughs) I think the tech behind it is pretty interesting because even even Joel asks, like, is there brain damage of this? Because it it does look like it's a pretty invasive surgery. So I kind of want to know, like, how it works and what the risk is to the patients and stuff like that. Yeah, he says, like, yes, there is brain damage technically. Because, you know, we're literally going in and removing memories. So, of course, there's brain damage. But it'd be equivalent to drinking a bunch of alcohol. And what that, that does to your brain, it just gives you like a hangover. That was basically what all they said, yeah. I think if they ever did like a series of this kind of thing, maybe then I would care about the tech. But just in the context of like an under two-hour movie, never, it's never bothered me. I've never found myself wondering exactly how it works personally. 
I don't really care just because I'm more interested in like just this crazy kind of concept story wise and what they're actually doing. I agree with you. Of course, it's one of those things where here we are like over 15 years later. So some things are a little bit goofy. Like you said, kind of just looks like Mark Ruffalo is playing a video game and that's really it. But it, it just works for me as is. It's kind of leaving it vague because in a weird way, I feel like if they go like super deep into the ins and outs, then it almost feels like that cliche I mentioned earlier where it's like, Lacuna, the huge corporation, stock prices on the blah, 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 blah. It feels like that kind of thing. Whereas leaving it vague in a weird way almost kind of reinforced that this is just like a daily thing that they do, like weirdly enough. So it kind of just felt like another doctor visit in a strange way. So I, I kind of like that. I don't need too much more detail personally. I was curious what you guys thought about the payoff from the Mary character. Because for a while I was like, this is a very weird like thing to give time to. But then the payoff of you know, she had a relationship with the doctor and forgot it, of course, due to the memory process and then decided to re- release everything to the patients. The way that character was used and, and how it leads and impacts Clementines and Joel by the end, I was like, wow, this was really cool. I'm, I'm glad we got all that time with Mary by the end of it. No, yeah, I agree. Because uh, you kind of just thought she was this kind of ditzy, just kind of sidekick, secretary kind of lady. Um, but yeah, she played a much, probably one of the biggest, more important roles in the movie, really, <laughs> towards at the end. Yeah, it's such an integral character, and it never feels like it in a, in a weird way. I don't know how they did that writing-wise, but at times she's the secretary. At times she's just kind of the third wheel coming in to help Patrick and Stan with the procedure. And then at other times she's just hanging out with Dr. Howard. So it's like, why is this character here at times, you wonder? Um, is it just because it's Kirsten Dunst? But then you're right. By the end, it's just such an, an important character with such great payoff. And it, it works like tenfold. Like you said, I mean, watching her be the one to discover that she did the procedure on herself and never knew it. And then she's like, all right, well, I'm going to release all this info because I know how I feel. And I want I want people, for better or worse, to what we're doing isn't right in some way. I also think it's important that it influences the characters because, as Dr. Howard kind of states... There's something that transcends where even though she loved him and then removed like that relationship from her memory, she still post-surgery loves him. Like it doesn't matter. It's like there's something that kind of transcends. And I think that beautifully kind of dovetails and ties into whether or not, you know, Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet are going to try again. And then also thirdly, and perhaps most interestingly, we've talked a lot in this episode how Lacuna isn't portrayed as like this evil corporation. and. I truly don't think it is, but I do think it's super interesting that you could make the argument by the end that perhaps, and maybe this is why Mary does what she does, but it is, it's an organization I would say found on Rocky Foundation. When you have your lead doctor, the guy that kind of, maybe he founded the procedure and he's the one that people go and talk to and he's kind of the head honcho of Lacuna, he's, you know, going out and cheating on his wife like numerous times with a secretary and then he says at the end and then we decided you know we mutually agreed this is the right thing to do and then she has the procedure done on herself so again i don't think it's an evil corporation but certainly whenever you have that revelation it's like okay yeah they're not necessarily terrible people in the grand scheme of things but you know it's a little bit kind of murky ethic wise so it kind of doubly like reinforces that Kirsten Dunst's character is doing the right thing at the end by giving out that information because it's like this doctor that you trusted basically cheated on his wife with me and then i had to get the procedure so (laughs) don't trust these people in the context of relationships it actually kind of leads into a 
a weird power dynamics conversation where if both parties aren't agreeing to have this done, how is it fair to the person who still has the memories or vice versa? It's like kind of with Mary and Stan and then also with Joel and Clementine because Clementine just went and did this and Joel didn't know she was doing that. So when he tries to go have a conversation with her, she doesn't know who he is. That's got to be painful to experience that. And then for Mary to realize that she's already had a relationship and intimate with this man and she has no memory of that, that's also a very weird power dynamics thing. So there are a lot of layers to this uh, surgery in the context of relationships between two people. And Lacuna just thinks it's good enough, I guess, to send you a letter in the mail that says that, hello, this person erased you from their memory. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Imagine if Keith forgot me. I just show up on the podcast one day like, (laughs) Matt, who's this third guy? (laughs) (laughs) I thought me and my best friend, Matt, were going to talk about Morbius today. Who's this stranger trying to ruin my time? Oh, do we have a guest today? You didn't tell me. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sitting there like, Keith, I know how much you hate Mark Ruffalo. Tell me about it. How does he know this stuff? (laughs) How does he know my name? Why does he have a soul patch? To kind of uh, close out here, just kind of like a last general point. I just love that our leads at the end, kind of when they have this response to the revelation of Mary sending out all the tapes of them doing their lacuna interviews and realizing, oh, I had my mind wiped of this person. And then they can, I guess, potentially meet that person. And then in the case of Joel and Clementine, it isn't about being good or bad for each other in the context of their previous relationship. To me, it's that they went through a procedure that they were happy to do because it got rid of painful memories, but they neglected the good times that they did have with each other. So at the end, watching them want to try again, even though it could not work out, is kind of powerful to me. This time, they're going in knowing the bad things about each other, and watching that closing shot that keeps repeating as they run on the beach tells me visually that perhaps this decision to try again is kind of all for naught in a way, but at least they have their own agency this time, and if it doesn't work out, I do genuinely think that they're going to be in a much healthier place than they were before having their minds wiped. I just think of like, the scene where Clementine tries to walk out after hearing like Joel listening to his tape and she says something basically like, I, I heard you on your tape. You're talking about how annoying I can be. Like, what's the point? And then his response is just like, OK. And she's like, OK. So it's kind of like, I don't know. Let's just try. So I don't know. What did you guys think of like the ending? I know we kind of already talked about it and you guys were like having questions. like, ah, Should they be together or not? But after kind of like, you know, looking at the movie as a whole and talking about it a bunch, I mean, any final thoughts on that ending specifically? The ending and the conclusion is is my favorite part of the movie. It's just that simple conversation where they both realize like, yeah, there's going to be things we don't like about each other, but they agree to take that journey together anyways. I think it's mainly because the movie isn't trying to sell you on the end that these are soulmates. These are just two people that are going to try to make this relationship work again. And maybe they'll fail. Maybe they'll last forever. But the aspect of, of just like, yeah, we're just going to see if maybe we can date each other and be happy. And that's all that you really have to be sold on in the final um, conclusion of the movie. That really worked for me. Yeah, worked for me too. Because um, it showed that the surgery does, in fact, remove the memories, but it does not remove attraction. Yeah, so it almost feels like we should see this through, knowing that whether or not we stay together forever or we break up, we just shouldn't have our minds wiped, if that makes sense. So it's almost like they both realize, I mean, we're not removing this attraction and this like connection that we feel with each other, so we might as well. Just see what happens. And something tells me that, that this time around is going to be a bit more positive than, than the first time around because cause I got from the, from the first relationship that they didn't have very great communication with each other. And so going into this relationship again, knowing uh, kind of where they fell apart and, and the things that bothered them about the other person, 
I think it's going to help them communicate more. And I took it as this relationship is going to be in a healthier place for the second go around. I got to say, Matt, as as we're talking about it here, I'm liking it more. I'm liking it more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad to hear. I think it's one that definitely rewards following viewing. So I think next time you guys watch it, you know, years from now, I think you'll you'll get something more out of it because I feel like I always get something more out of it with each watch. So just a really fun, deep and rewarding movie, I feel like. I mean, this is a classic Keith saying, but I think I'm going to steal it from him for this one. I think I got to watch it again. Oh, rewatchability, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, before we can close out, we have to do the Arnie's Podcast Awards. It's where we just pick something that we either loved, liked, or didn't like at all from the movie, show, or whatever we're talking about on the podcast. And we just call out one thing that we think deserves an award. So, Austin or Keith, who wants to start me off? What are you thinking deserves extra praise or hate today? I'm bringing back an old award. It's a pretty easy one. It's the Creepy Peepy Award. And that goes to Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the ultimate, the ultimate, when he just out of nowhere goes, I stole her panties. I was like, oh my God, how, how did the conversation end up here? What I love about the whole scene was Mark Ruffalo's reaction to it all. He's like, holy shit, why'd you do that? <laughs> you can't <Yeah>. do that. <laughs> he's like, I don't know. He's a criminal in more ways than one, I feel like. He should probably be in jail and he needs to shave. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give um, the Unknowing Threesome Participant Award to Jim Carrey as Joel, because he unknowingly participates in two threesomes in this movie, between Mary and Stan, and then Mary and Dr. Howard. For some reason, all of them are getting intimate on top of his bed with him still asleep <laughs> there in the room. And eating off of him, too. Remember, the plate, the plate was on his crotch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love These it. These are the worst employees in the world. Well, I'm glad you said it, Austin, because that ties into mine. I mean, all every single employee of Lacuna is getting my award, the worst employee of the year award. And honestly, they do a lot of dumb shit in this movie. But the thing that I always latch on to that really, really bugs me is just they think it's totally normal and fine to eat and drink everything in their client's home. <laughs> like... All these clients are waking up like, where's my whiskey? That's what I mean. Because look, it's one thing since you're wiping their memory, I get it. So they're not going to remember. But you have to play the game a little bit here, guys. Sure. Take a, take some whiskey. Take a little bit of food. But these idiots just drink basically the entire bottle of whiskey and just leave a few drops and then put it back in the cabinet. And Jim Carrey comes and grabs it. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Joel's waking up wiping Mark Ruffalo's semen off his forehead going, what the hell? <laughs> his forehead. <laughs> oh, man. There's like crumbs in his bed and whiskey in his ear. <laughs> Well, with that, thank you everybody so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and our Our Favorite Movies series, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that so we continue to grow our show. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for what is sure to be my favorite film of the year, Morbius. I'm sure you are both stoked for this. We're going to have to do the review next week, and then by the end of the year, we're probably going to do another round of Our Favorite Movies so we can talk about it again. <laughs> 
I can't wait. I cannot wait. We're finally seeing the future Academy Award-winning film, Morbius. Yes. And at the end of the year, for our year-end award shows, you're right, Matt. We're going to have to be voting for Morbius to win Best Picture of the Year. Please. What is with this trailer being everywhere I go to? I don't like, know, Almost every Keith. bar I've been to, I know. Morbius trailer The marketing budget is insane, Keith. You don't oh. understand what Jared Leto brings to the table. I've seen the entire movie already. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be so bad. There's no way it's good, right? How dare you? It's going to be fantastic. Oh, okay. You're right. Lastly, we want to hear from you guys. So please feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us the Arnie's media at gmail.com. What are your thoughts on Eternal Sunshine? Anything you say we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right. All right, guys. Thanks again so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week and got to say... I hope you guys got your tickets early and you're going to go see Morbius this weekend so you can catch our review on time. We can't wait. Catch you later. If somebody is unconscious, do not hook up with your girlfriend on top of them. Please don't.